and welcome to yet another episode of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh, oh they are screaming. And it's a Freeform Friday. Yeah, Friday. Hi. It's also Blade Runner Day because, you know, November 2019. Oh, you're kidding. No. The, the day has finally come. Oh, yes. man. I expected so much more. Where's our floating cars? I know. I, I'm saying, right? You know. At, where's my replicants? I, I want a cool owl. You know, that, I mean, dreams, I assume, of electric sheep. <laughs> I know. And, you know, being a Blade Runner, the Void Compt oh. human test. <laughs> Gonna need one of those myself. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, hey, welcome. Uh, it's Friday, so we've got some topic for you. We're going to ramble on about some stuff. Uh, if you've already read the intro, you probably know what it is, but uh, if you're not uh, just going in blind, just letting us lead you wherever we will, well, you'll in for a treat. So uh, we have a couple call-ins, Dave Albridge from D Percentals, as well as Jason from RPG, RPG Nerds Variety Cast. Excellent. Well, good to hear from you both. So we're going to turn it over to them and get right to it. So we'll be right back. Hey, all right, guys, it's Dave from Deeper Center calling into my favorite literary etin. With some embarrassment, I am behind on all of my podcast listening, so I've only just listened to your vampire episode. I really enjoyed it. I love that game. You've clearly got a lot of affection for it. I played it all through the 90s, all the world of darkness. I'm really glad that you gave Anne Rice the props she deserves. I love those sexy vampires. Those books are amazing. They hold up now. Um, I've recently reread a load of them. My one, my one comment was that you did, I mean, you, you, you clarified at the start, but you did associate it really closely with, with LARPing. And I know it took off as a LARP game, but I never engaged with it that way. I didn't do the LARPing. Um, it was a tabletop game for me all the way. I think it deserves its status as yeah sorry got cut off there I thought I was going to manage it in a minute but I, I, I really think it deserves its place as one of the iconic games you know as a really distinctive play experience where and this is what I was going to add where the world the beautifully realized world was unified with some really interesting mechanics and that's the bit I suppose I missed you commenting on that the world of darkness dice pool mechanics were very distinctive if you're engaging with it as a tabletop game and really to me were a sort of inseparable part of the experience anyway I really enjoyed it It was great to hear people talking about you don't hear people talking about world of darkness on anchor very much so thanks very much All right. Well, that was Dave. Dave Aldridge from the Deeper Sentinel uh, podcast. Check him out. Hello, and, Dave. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, Vampire is, uh, well, it doesn't receive a lot of love, I don't think, from a lot of the old school uh, grognards because they tend to look at storytelling games as somehow inferior. And, well, whatever you think about that personally, uh, I feel that uh, storytelling, uh, the advent of it, that lended itself into LARP was the reason why we did cover that, because it was a little bit more of an experience. But uh, you're right. I, I, I got to say, you know, you're onto something with the fact that it's, it's you know, system uh, mechanics for tabletop play were unique. Oh, which, yeah, the dice pool. Yeah, it, it, it for its time, uh, delivered a very different method of play for a game that also stood apart from the other stuff in the pack. I mean, bet 
kind of earns it a place in gamer history is yeah. among the, the big games because, uh, one, I, the World of Darkness was very, very popular. Uh, you know, it, it took a while to peak, but when it did, uh, you know, it had players all over the world. Yeah, it. I was more of a werewolf player, uh, both the LARP and the uh, tabletop game. And I will say this about the dice system. It didn't lend itself well to the combat heavy and ferocity that uh, you wouldn't expect out of being a visceral combat-heavy game like Werewolf. And True. Mage was also a little bit of a, a, a stretch at times with the system, but it was robust enough that it could carry it out, as well as uh, never, Changeling and never Wraith. Played, never played the other three, Mage, Changeling, or Wraith. I've never, never played actually... a little bit of Changeling. I, I actually, of those, I think is the stronger but just getting back to Vampire, yeah, Anne Rice, uh, glad you enjoyed that we oh, gave her her yes. And if we did skip over the system or talk about LARP a little bit too much, uh, just forgive us. It was basically, uh, we don't really delve into the nitty-gritty of the game systems per se, but it does bear mentioning that just like with Shadowrun, uh, with oh, RuneQuest yeah. and Deadlands, it was a standout all on its own. And that oh, D10 yeah. is a, just a really... Uh, I- Good system for telling stories in that uh, genre. I think it would have been a worthy inclusion had I had it on my mind. That was a clear oversight. Uh, But, no, I'm so glad you enjoyed the Anne Rice reference because, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, that end of the 70s revolution in the perception of the vampire uh, paved the way for all the other adaptions of it that came after, whether you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, or, you know, Supernatural or, or any of those other shows, a, a lot of the stuff that has become pop culture and, you know, pop media, it's all got to give a hat tip. Oh, what was the, that TV show? Uh, was it By Night or something like that with the uh, the vampire who was a police officer? Oh, oh Forever Night. Forever uh, Night, Out yes. of Canada. Yeah, that was also a really good one. And I really, uh, when I was playing vampire, I went and... Uh, Tried to hunt down episodes and uh, had oh. r- recordings and stuff like that done so I could review them. Because it was really a, a very well-done series. Yeah, I mean, setting itself far apart from the attempted television show about uh, a vampire clan in the World of Darkness seeming tradition. I mean, it it was parallel to White Wolf Publishing's uh, yeah. products, but... It was poorly executed and did not gain any traction and was even, like, almost despised by most uh, players of both Tabletop and LARP. I mean, some enthusiasts were just happy to have something, but to have it be so uh, badly done was was just... It was a bit of an insult to injury. Like, oh, look, it's nice that you tried, but, ugh, yuck. I, I thought it was well done, but, you know, well, that's what we'll do. Oh, it wasn't terrible. It was not, uh, it, it's not like third-rate television, but there was a great deal they could have Much like Dark that. Shadows, it had its moments, and, it, you know, it fell flat on some others, I suppose. But nonetheless, yeah, thanks for calling in, Dave, and uh, well, yeah, um, glad to see that you enjoyed it. Uh, Vampire is a classic and deserves to be fully realized for its importance and its role that it had in gaming. Yeah, one of the, one of the, True uniques, one of those few, much like you know, D and D at the time of its arrival, Warhammer, RuneQuest, as you mentioned. You know, there there are a number of games that when they came out, 
There was nothing quite like them, and Vampire is truly one of those. Yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to get on to Jason, so we'll be right back. Hey guys, Jason here from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. A couple quick things, Halloween stories. I've never really been in a super scary game, unfortunately. Normally, we do a board game like Betrayal and the House in the Hill. Is a family thing on Halloween. This year got busy, so we didn't do that, unfortunately. Um, I did recently play in an ICRPG Blacklight game about a month ago. That's basically a Delta Green hack of ICRPG. And there's a time in that game where two characters were possessed. They went insane and possessed by an evil artifact that was telling them they had to possess it. You know, they both had to own this artifact. And we're agents, so, you know, they drew down guns on each other. And it was a super tense scene, and the players acted out really well. So that was kind of cool. But, you know, you mentioned Ravenloft. The first time I ever played Ravenloft, and this would have been, I don't know what year, man. Um, it was shortly after it came out. It was in the Army. Of course, you know, we drank and when we played back then. So I don't remember a whole lot of the session. But we had a new player with us that night when the GM or the DM first ran Ravenloft. And he wasn't used to D&D, never played D&D before. And he saw Elvish, and he thought it was Elvis. So his elf in, the, in that game that night spoke like Elvis Presley all game, which was great. And I really don't remember anything else about, anything else about that game, but I remember that. So anyhow, happy Halloween to you guys. Enjoy your podcast. Looking forward to the next one. Take it easy. All right. Thank you, Jason. Uh, yeah, man. Um, Delta Green. I love um, some Delta Green. Uh, not sure about the IC RPG hack, but um, yeah, man. Delta Green's an awesome game. And of course, uh, you know, it does qualify as horror. And of oh, course, yeah. you have those tense moments. But uh, yeah, um, you broke poor Mike up uh, talking about the <laughs> Elvis to Elvish. That's, that's what happens when you drink too much. Um, you don't remember much of it, but you certainly remember that somebody like, Oh, like a hunk of burning elf. Oh, man. Mama, mama, I'm coming home. Scylla, Scylla, bring my 45. I'm going out. I need some fried chicken and a fluff another sandwich. And I've got to be back before the colonel calls curfew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's how it went, but... Oh. Uh, Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ravenloft, man. That, that brings back some memories. And also, Betrayal, House in the Hills is a good game. Uh, you know, we played it a couple times here as well. Uh, the, uh, one of our uh, gamers in my other group, uh, she really likes to play it. So we had a lot of fun. Bravo. But, yeah, that's a fine Halloween tradition. I'm sorry it didn't pan out this year. But, you know, some years are like that. It was a pretty busy Halloween for me, too. I, yeah. I, had, uh, I had a lot on my plate. But <laughs> yeah, we're glad you shared the scary stories with us because yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm traumatized by the fact that there's an elf out there that is talking like Elvis. I'm gonna win this race against the Gorgon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we're uh, we're definitely uh, past the spooky season, so we're getting back in the swing of things. So uh, we're gonna take a quick break here, and of course, uh, always check out uh, RPG. Uh, Nerds RPG Variety Cast, uh, it's well worth it. And uh, thanks again, Jason, for giving us a call in. And uh, that's an amusing story. That's definitely <laughs> going to be one we're going to be telling for quite a while. 
<laughs> oh, you're gonna be lucky if you get through a game with an elf in it that I don't pull that back out. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. All right, so uh, we're gonna get on to some paying the bills, and then we're gonna get back with you with some topics. So stick around. All right, and we're back, and it's Preform Friday. Yeah, I got all the business out of the way, so now we're ready to tear in some ranting. So hopefully your eardrums and your patience is prepared. <laughs> yes, prepared for the cut-rate alibi oh. of gaming podcasts. Cut-rate alibi, it, man. Dog ate my homework, man. I swear to God. It's yeah. exactly how it went down, too. He totally ate my homework. It just Yeah. <laughs> you had to ramble on. I, had a home, I actually had that happen to me. I made a pillow for home ec back in sixth grade. You know, you had to make these uh, patterns. So I took it home over Christmas break. Uh, you know, kind of one of those things where I just threw it on the couch after I was done. And I come back and the puppy had ripped it apart. Oh. Oh. Yeah. But, you know, of course, you know, you bring the shredded evidence up and see now. There you go. Now that stopped the evidence makes it not a cut rate alibi. So you're still in the safe zone, bud. Yeah. No worries. But there you go. But anyway, what are you? What are we talking about besides uh, ruined home ec uh, projects? Well, <laughs> we're talking about tonight is gaming as learning, as well as uh, what basically um, is involved in role playing, what it takes to be a role player, and how to translate these things into actual real world learning processes. That uh, this was also provided by Mike's brother. Oh yeah, this was a topic that. Uh was inspired by a conversation I had with my brother Chris, uh, and a shout out to uh, both my brother Chris and uh, my nephew Henry. So, you know, howdy Chris and Hank. Uh, hey Hank. You know, it's it's a good topic idea too. What What is the quintessential appeal of gaming and as a hobby? Uh, and what are its learning aspects? What are the, the things that make it such a learning experience? In in my humble opine, which it ought to be humble. I mean, you know, mm. it, it is the cut-rate alibi of gaming podcasts. But in my humble opine, it's a cornucopia of learning benefits that all pop into a single uh, hobby paradigm. It, it's uncanny the number of aspects of gaming that have educational value in more than just the strict and familiar uh, classic classroom sense. There are a lot of parts. And and we're just going to try and break them down loosely one by one uh, and pick them apart for a minute. You know, give a look at uh, how is this a facet of gaming uh, and, you know, what's its value outside of the gaming world. Right, and there's, there's a few hobbies like this i mean there's craft hobbies and things like that that you can do and you know obviously make a little bit of a a little bit of a style of living off of i mean there's a lot of people on etsy and uh, ebay that do that but more importantly you know this is something that's not necessarily monetary or that you can show a physical result from yeah i mean i'm not saying it doesn't happen but for the most part the benefits of gaming are less tangible they are intangibles they're things that they have a uh, qualitative value. You know, they, they have something that can be assessed as a value, but not in the traditional bean-counting terms. Right. Uh, so, you know, 
let's walk through these one by one. And I, I would say right out of the gate, okay. language. Language. Oh, yeah. Vocabulary and language uh, are increased. And your reading comprehension. Yeah. Uh, it's a By game just... that it comes with a lot of things associated with it in terms of other fandoms. Uh, fantasy fiction, science fiction, all of uh, horror fiction, all the things you see comics. reflected in popular games and comics and movies uh, begin to filter down into these games. And... If you're not a part of all these different fandoms, if you're not a fan of all these different types of books, but one of them leads you to gaming, you very quickly find yourself intersecting with a lot of material that you're not familiar with. And right. that's a discovery process, and you can't undervalue that. That's, that's Right, you might end up reading Lord of the Rings and learn a lot about the Similarian, but you also might also, uh, that you might also find yourself reading Bullfinch's Mythology. Oh, a classic. Uh, I, long before I even uh, played a, or even saw a book that was related to Dungeons and Dragons, uh, I was a huge fan of the Knights of the Round Table and, you know, like, uh, Le Marc d'Arthur mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, bits of Bullfinch's mythology, uh, the Greek and Roman myths. And I'd worked my way through the mythologies of the world before the gaming kicked in, uh, but I, I gotta say, after D and D, it basically just opened a door for all these other types of games. And with each game came another genre. And with each genre came a whole list of other things that I really wanted to look up. Uh, so yeah, that much reading, that much, uh, oh, exposure to a wide variety of genres you start to pick up a lot of different words, a lot of words that only apply in very certain circumstances. A science fiction book includes a chunks of vocabulary you would never normally run across, and a historical fiction or mythological book frequently, you know, there's an entirely different spectrum of words that are employed for that. So, by all means, you know, as a language booster, gaming is just a super hobby. It, it's the you know, intellectual version of a superfood. <laughs> Pardon me. Oh, excuse oh, you. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> it's that time of year. Um, but yeah, there's that. And uh, also the idea of the entirety of your vocabulary increasing. Like, well, there are words that you would never use, like antediluvian, chthonic, as well as trantlum. Oh, we, we, I'd mentioned this one uh, in our private conversation that... You know, with a kudo to Gary Gygax, because the word trantlum, uh, you know, for a small gugaw or knickknack, a little piece of treasure that is of some slight value, uh, but is mostly there to look pretty. Uh, <laughs> Did you say find it a magpie's hoard? Yeah, a, a magpie's jackdaw hoard of gugaws, knickknacks, and uh, trantlums. Exactly. Uh, See, now... Uh, some people would be completely cross-eyed at that. Like, what did you just say? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, first, you've got to know what a magpie is. Yeah. Number two, uh, you know, like jackdaw, which implies mm -hmm. randomness. And uh, <laughs> horde instead of pile or treasure, uh, you know, it, completely different words. Gugaz, interesting little trinkets. Yes. Uh, and, you know, you wind up running across these terms in gaming a great deal more frequently. So, I and mean, it makes it it makes you sound pretty wordy. Uh, well, you know, 
highbrow falutin. Yeah, yeah, all highfalutin with all them fancy words. Uh, not to mention, uh, it'll boost your Scrabble game. Oh, yeah. Right there. <laughs> and also Bar Trivia Night. Yeah, uh, do not throw down against uh, the average gamer on a Scrabble match. Um, you'll lose. You know, it, it's it's risky at best. <laughs> You're not just dealing with those five cent words. No, no, they're... <laughs> you used all seven letters again? How do you do that? Cathonic. You know? <laughs> it's uh, a word. Well... Uh, moving on, I, I would say number two on the docket would be social skills. Um, gaming has a long and colorful history now um, of a wide variety of characters showing up for it. And social skills were not described as the strong suit of gamers circa the 1970s. In fact, it was kind of an engineering department you know, the, the button-down shirt with the pocket protector and, you know, like four pens and a mechanical drafting pencil. Uh, and Yeah, when we're not even talking about the characters that were created to play the scenario. We're talking about the people sitting around the table. Yeah, yeah. The, a wide variety of characters uh, that were not iconically thought of as skilled communicators and great people persons, you know... Nobody was generally accused of being Captain Suave at the gaming table. Uh, but Speak for yourself, sir. <laughs> uh, there was an interesting thing that happened, though, is that you found a lot of people who were out of, like, fish out of water. Uh, they didn't fit in with the conventional notion of what was cool, you know, it, which... And I'm, I'm really going to date myself here, okay? Kimono flipping open. Uh, oh, dear. You know, there was, there was two worlds in school, and there was the world of what was fashionable, and at that time it meant having a goody comb uh, in your back pocket um, <laughs> of Jordache jeans, <laughs> which were notoriously tight, uh, and I was not the definition of that at any time. You know, whatever cool was, I was not that at that time. Uh, but gaming seemed to draw around itself the people who typically fell outside, outside the boundaries of what was considered the top tier of cool. And yet, uh, these people who were not super suave and incredibly communicative and, you know, ridiculously... Uh, oh. Well, we wouldn't think of many of the gamers back then, and especially as young adolescents, anyone is being hit, no matter how yeah. hard they tried. Fair enough. Much, much uh, can be made of that, but also like in uh, the book It, or the movie, The Losers Club is pretty much a quintessential collection of misfits and outcasts from normal society that come together and they find not only common purpose, but they find uh, a unifying and sometimes overwhelming sense of purpose by being in the game. You know, that uh, you cease kind of to be Steve, the kind of clueless guy, to being uh, Stephanopoulos, the mighty rogue and master of stealth. You know, also worth mentioning, I mean, there's a kind of, uh, for those who have seen the, you know, ancient desiccated movie The Breakfast Club, uh, there were occasionally moments where it was a great deal like that, where people who came from radically different walks of life, found themselves in the same room at the same table, 
uh, with the same group of people on a regular basis and formed friendships that were outside of their ordinary social exactly, boundaries. Yeah. And I mean, you really can't put a clear value on that, except that it was really good. I mean, it, how do you, you can't count that out and change. Uh, but it was something that had an impact on a lot of folks, uh, which meant that years later, even with the game having gone through a period where it was heavily stigmatized, a lot of people were not the least bit ashamed of their gaming heritage and dug those old books back out of the cupboard and said, hey, you know, it'd be fun to do this again. Uh, and a lot of those people, they found their swab a little later in life. Uh, and <laughs> you can't really look at it as uh, the game is responsible for it, but the process of working with others, of, of uh, building a sense of teamwork, yeah, uh, of organizing as a group. Yeah, uh, team building, organizing, using your, uh, covering each other's uh, flaws and weaknesses with other strengths, building a uh, solid, tight format to with, with which you conquer obstacles and overcome challenges, all just based on characters created <clears throat> by numbers written on paper. Yeah, uh, it becomes a learning experience that emerges out of something that is theoretically just cold calculus. Right, know? and you know, also with that is mentioned about mathematics. Um, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, uh, gee, there's a lot of math in gaming. Yeah, there is, but uh, it's... Uh, it falls right into order with everything else, with the vocabulary, with the social skills, and the team building. It's all a part of that whole essence. And using mathematics gives you an edge, knowing which uh, dice to roll at the right time, uh, what the best numbers and modifiers are. Uh, understanding go with the, the odds. average. Yep, the yeah. odds. The average is like if you're asked to roll die 20, a plus 2 translates to... You know, 10% if you go to percentile systems or, you know, a plus 10 uh, translates into a plus 2 on a die 20. That's some of the skills that you learn. And here's an example perfectly spelled out. I mean, Randy touches on this, you know, right on the, the spot. It, it's exactly that. A person, you have several options available to your character at that moment. The percentile dice or whatever system you're using... Uh, say, for instance, one of the actions you take is not something that is your character's strong suit. Um, and so they have a penalty to it, and there's a two-point penalty. Uh, that's not very likely to work, even if it's a good idea. Over here, on the other hand, is a second option where, oh, you happen to have some skill in that. And this character has a bonus of plus four on a roll like this. Now, maybe that's the action you choose. You're, you're counting on the odds to make your action successful. Right. Now, backed into a corner, I mean, you make the decision you make, uh, and the dice fall where they may. But it's interesting that people put the time and the effort in to calculate mentally, what is my best option? What is the best result that I can get from this? And what's my obstacle? What are my obstacles? What are my, my weaknesses? And right. that's, there's a calculation going on there that a lot of people find very entertaining. Well, also, um, you can use uh, gaming, the skills. You can actually put it on a uh, reference that you have been working in team building and social organizing skills for a very long time. 
Uh, well, you can't put that on a resume, but that, you know, hey, you know, I, I do this. I'm a master organizer. I managed to get six people into one building for three hours on a Tuesday night. <laughs> you know? Yep. You settle disputes, oh. even as a game master or as Conf- a player. Conflict resolution. resolution. Yep. We're thinking the same thing there. Oh, and that's man. an important thing, too. But another thing you brought up earlier was therapeutical. And I've seen this done at the VA with a couple other uh, vets that... Uh, you know, role-playing as not just a psychological exercise, but therapy. Yeah, and I don't mean that it's done strictly in the traditional cycle or, you know, psychological way. Uh, it's not always done, you know, like that. Uh, gaming itself is now used in therapeutic circumstances uh, in its real form. I because mean, it, it like normalizes, uh, it allows you to re-enter... A structured environment where you know exactly what your abilities and what things you are good at doing and what things you're not so good at doing. And no matter what the game is, every game has this. Every single game out there. You can bring and put everyone from Tune all the way up to 13th Age in front of me. And I'll still say that every game, every character you create has weaknesses and things that they are very, very good at. It's true. Most of the games, even if they're not based on a traditional, what we would think of as a skill system or a skill-based system. Or a class. uh, Or a class-based system. uh, Even the ones that fall outside of that, there is almost always some aspect that, like, either you have a, this is a strong suit for you, or this is a weak suit for you, or or at least middle ground. Right, like in Cyberpunk, a fixer could also, besides being the paceman of the party and negotiator... And also acquire of illicit goods. Can also be a combatant, a martial artist, or a powerful uh, or a formidable um, gunfighter. Yeah, it, it's the mingling of skills. And it's, and you can look at that on a sheet and see, wow, this bitch is really good at martial arts. And, uh, and it's not bad with a handgun or driving. You know, but maybe not so good at first aid or medical high medical treatment. Not too dandy with the hacking a computer or, you know. Yeah, they work their way maybe, around. The, maybe not the sneakiest character in the group, you know. Yeah, even if you're <laughs> kind of like the fixer is the technical jack of all trades, you know, they need to have a little bit of everything to be successful in the uh, mean streets of cyberpunk. They still have care, uh, attributes that focus mainly on what they do at moving product or acquiring product. So that ties into it, but yeah, it's therapy and it allows you to have that kind of format again to kind of understand where you stand, and it gives you a little bit of sense of direction right off the go. Uh, And I would hazard a guess that the process of gaming, in some respects, is inherently therapeutic, uh, unintentionally. Right. One, some people contested early on that it was retreat into fantasy. Uh, with no value in reality. I would radically disagree in the sense that uh, if you experienced laughter and friendship owed to a fiction, uh, you still experienced laughter and friendship. I mean, the the laughter and the friendship are things that happen in the very real world. Uh, The fiction that may have initiated that contact is irrelevant. It doesn't matter that it's based on a silly game. Uh, I wouldn't diss anybody for bowling. I mean, if you made your friends bowling and they become your best buddies for life and uh, 
you you go on to be the dude and the big Lebowski. Good on you, man. Got your friends. Life is good. Yeah, a lot of people do uh, dismiss uh, role playing as escapism, and which it is. Yeah. But they dismiss it plaintively out of that you're just not wanting to deal with the problems in front of you. Well, sometimes you need a break. Uh, and let's face it, you go to work. There are very strict boundaries in the regular everyday world, but work or school doesn't matter. Uh, there's an entire laundry list of expectations upon you every day in this world. Um, and the navigation of those things can be incredibly difficult. And oftentimes there is no best resolution. No. It's only differing degrees of worst. Gaming can be much the same, but less is at stake. And so, you know, when it's just things on a piece of paper and your imagination... It's actually far better. It's it's more well, didn't of a Joseph Campbell write about the fact that uh, fantasy isn't uh, puerile entertainment; that it's actually a mentally healthy. Like when he was talking about fantasy and science fiction. Oh, reading. it's a crea- It's personalized mythmaking. Yeah. Uh, which, if you want to see mythmaking in real time, pay attention to urban legends of today and urban Creepy legends Foster. of yesteryear. Uh, roll the clock back and, you know, the, the hook-handed slasher at the drive-in, you know. Yeah, the hook hand. You know, welcome to the 1950s cheesy, you know, date night movies. Uh, but, you know, the urban legends of one generation become the tropes of another. Uh, and those tropes inevitably are folded into a kind of, you know, social fabric, a, a collective imagination. It's the same process by which we get Paul Bunyan and oh, yeah. Johnny Appleseed. Um, oh, don't forget Pecos Bill. Uh, bingo. <laughs> Liberating Johnson. No. Well, well, that was kind that of was a true story. Yeah. Oh. Horrifying uh, as it is. No, but these things take on a life of their own in the real world. And gaming is not at all different from that. It's extremely similar. Yeah, and, you know, besides learning some bizarre terms and strange names for monsters. Oh, system mechanics. And system mechanics, yep. Delving into the varied degrees of how each game plays out. Because for a long time before D20, each game basically tried to be different. Now, some emulated specific formulas like the class system or a skill system like RuneQuest or Call of Cthulhu. Level-based or, yep, you know, loosey-goosey stuff. Like where, or straddle the means like Warhammer. Everybody made a game with a new system, so you had to have a learning curve of learning how to not only adjudicate a game, but also how do you do things? How do I do whatever it is my character is going to do? What I need to know this before I even create a character. And so there's kind of this extra out-of-the-game or out-of-game meta where you discover a kind of path to learning a system by rote and measure. You first, you know, understand the stats, how they relate to things, what the skills are or what uh, the abilities that are built into the system that you're expected to do. How do they relate to these stats? What do they mean? What is the expense of them? How much can you afford to invest here or there? Right, like Top Secret, you know, may not have had a class system per se, but they still, you came from a various bureau, you still had to do all these things inside the game, like, wiretapping, electronics, you know, firing a sniper rifle on top of a building, um, setting up a bomb, defusing a bomb, all the... the Wait, super... I've got to get my turtleneck. 
Right. And so you would all have to do this stuff. And you would have these multi-tiered systems. Now, some of them were more elegant than others. But, you know, it was all part of also learning the game. And sometimes that was a part of the fun of it. Now, I, I do want to mention something wonderfully subversive about the mechanics of gaming. If you're a person who is highly analytical and not strong on social skills, communication, things like that, uh, gaming had an innate draw because they were based on rules systems. You could sit down and read and analyze and determine how this game is to be played and what the capacity of the rules are for resolving various things. Uh, and that was fascinating. But then when you played it in reality, it was a highly social experience. And so the person who may have come to the table initially because of their attraction to the system mechanics finds themselves in a training ground for social relationships. Yeah, you have new people that you didn't factor <laughs> into those adjustments and those numbers. And they add to the mix. And so that lends to the blend of each team or players. Each group has its own dynamics that you have to learn when you come in. And I will add as an addendum that like it's for better or for worse. I mean, every now and then you you got to stick in the mud or, or a loose cannon. You know, you could have one person who uh, maybe they're not very... I'm a loose cannon. With. Yeah, you are so a loose cannon. I'm not much better myself, actually. I mean... Honestly, uh, <laughs> how you managed to like just not bury an axe in my skull after this long, I do not know. Um, the stuff I put him through. Oh, seriously. <laughs> it's called love. Brotherly uh, love. Yeah. Not, not bro love. Like like Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of love that you have for people. And, you know, it shows at the table, you know, that... Uh, you know, it's not physical love or creepy love. It's just there's a love of being with people that get you, appreciate you, and understand you. And if that's the worst that ever happened for me spending all my time and wasted hours playing these games, ah, oh, wow, I uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, if it was done alone, uh, you know, if it was just hours with books, it still would have been worth it. Uh, but the fact that so much of that time has been spent with... Uh, people who had a much lower judgment threshold as, as far as, you know, deciding whether another person is worthy of being at the table or not. The threshold came down a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of those, like, old school lunchroom barriers just didn't exist at the gaming table. No, they didn't. And... I, I gotta say, I, I always came away from it feeling like I not only had not wasted my time, uh, but that I had spent it really well because I came away happy. And if you come away with that, oh man, you already won the biggest treasure of them all. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end this is uh, oh. wind it up. I think that we've covered all the topics. Uh, role playing is worth uh, investing your time in and it's worth uh, learning because you get to learn it with other people, too. And all those skills translate outside of the table if you are creative enough. And that's the other big thing. Creativity is key. Yeah, I've got to say, if we're going to if we're going to cinch this up for the evening, I, I do want to say you're dead on. Uh creativity blossoms in this. The exposure to so many different genres and so much different material. Uh, it does seem to trigger the imagination. It pushes people to ask themselves, 
if all this other stuff has been created and written down, and I'm picking it up for the first time and it's new to me, what makes the things that are in my mind any less valuable than this? Uh, you know, that's the moment that you realize you're probably the next generation of people to create cool things and come up with stuff that other people might want to read. Uh, and any number of fairly successful writers and or gamers uh, ultimately went on to become, you know, authors uh, as opposed to merely writers. You know, there's there's writing and then there's being an author. Uh, and there's a goodly number of authors who yeah, dipped their toes in the pool of gaming. Right on. All right. Well, we've abused your good listening skills as well as your eardrums. So we're going to wind <laughs> it up here and uh, call it an evening. We've pummeled you all senseless enough. Yeah, we want to thank you for tuning in. And, of course, if you have any questions or comments, of course, direct them right towards the Facebook page, The Dice of Screaming on Facebook. You can get a hold of us there. Leave some comments uh, if you wish, or some complaints, or some angry messages, too. We don't care. We oh, like yeah. them all. We like them all. But uh, also, you can use the Anchor app to get a hold of us here and leave a message, and we'll put you on the podcast and uh, make you semi-famous. Um, not that any of the people call here need our help. They're already famous in their own right. But uh, Oh, goodness. Uh, and know, we're just happy that you know, we attract some attention now and then. <laughs> Somebody noticed us. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. So uh, we hope you have a good weekend. It's uh, Friday night here, so we're going to wind it up and go to our separate ways. Mike's got an early day, so I'm going to also uh, run out here shortly. So we'll see you soon. So just keep it going and... May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.